Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. We've really been addressing the question, why big church? Why be a part of the church universal? And this weekend, I want us to focus a little bit more specifically and talk about why venture? Why this church? And as we think about it, just even asking ourselves, who are the people in the church? You know, as a little kid, sometimes I'd watch Sesame Street. I really liked it. Uh, for some reason, my mom didn't. She was real strict, kind of fundamentalist, didn't really trust public television. I don't know. All I know is the different segments on Sesame Street. My favorite one was the guy, I think his name was Bob. And he, who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood. And he kind of introduced somebody that would be in your neighborhood. Have you ever stopped for a minute, though, who are the people in your church? All around you right now. In fact, any given weekend, there's really kind of three categories of people that are here right now in this service listening to it. And if you look at it, it's always true. First group we have right now are visitors. Some of you, you're here maybe for the very first time. A friend brought you, you heard about Venture, you wanted to come. And let me just tell you, we're thrilled you're here. We, we are so thankful that you would come and want to check us out. Now, another large group that's here, attenders. Uh, you, you, you're here, you've been coming for a while. Some are attenders for weeks, months, even years, kind of in that category. And again, hear me. I'm thrilled you're here. Keep attending. Uh, this is a place, uh, there's a lot of reasons somebody might go, you know, I, I'm attending here. I don't know if I quite believe what you believe. I'm not sure this is the place. And so I would just encourage you, if you find yourself your attender, you are always welcome here. And we want this to be the kind of place that you feel welcome. And, and then you got this last group, members, members. And if you're a member of Venture, even as we say that, you kind of, hmm, member. I love our members. I hate this term, by the way. I, I really do. I hate, because as I look at it, members, it's almost like it's this thing that I cross the line. I'm a member, you know, that, that line with membership comes privileges. And I don't think that's the mentality we have. In fact, I, I think the reason I don't like the term the most is it's, it's kind of static. You're, once you're there, you're there. In fact, as I go back and look at the other ones, each of these, I know what you're doing. If you're a visitor, you're visiting. If you're a tender, you're attending. If you're a member, you're membering. <laughs> See, that's the thing. There is no membering. Member is not something you, you do. You just are now. And I really think that's the wrong mentality. I really do. In fact, I'd like to change it. If I were going to change it anything, my favorite term is we're partners. We're partners. And we're partnering. And it's not this final line you always cross. I'm a member and I'm always a member and I'm there with it. Partners, that kind of thing that you have to again and again ask yourself, okay, man, am I a partner here? Am I partnering? Have I engaged with it? And, and I, I really would like to talk to you in this message this weekend of what does it mean to be a partner? If you were to look at it and go, man, I, I want a partner adventure. And no matter which of these categories you find yourself in, maybe you've been a, a, just a one-time visitor and you go, yeah, really, maybe it's been an attender. 
Maybe you've been a member for years. I think it's a good time to step back and go, what would it look like to partner with this church? And, and in your notes, I'm going to walk you through what we walk the partnership class through. First step, we walk them and, and did it last weekend, had the lunch and walked through that of what does that mean? I thought it would be good for all of us as a church to look at this and to think about it. Kind of five key categories. There's some sub points under them. Look at the first one, to partner adventure. You would say you are a part of the church through your personal relationship with Christ. You're part of, now that's the big C church. And, and the reason we put that there, and I want to be real clear about this, I would hate anyone who joined a church or partnered with the church and, and you did that step but missed the most important thing. And I'm telling you, the most important thing is you actually have a relationship with Jesus. And the, the reason I say that, I've talked to enough people who grew up in church or around church, and sometimes when they finally come into a personal relationship with Jesus, they'll say these words, you know, well, I was around it all the time. They kind of, they let me join, they let me be a part, but I, I never took that step. And so I would encourage you, it, it's, it's so important that every one of us could say this line, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Man, he saved me. He died on the cross for me. He forgave my sins. And, and he's my Lord. He's in charge of my life. Man, I'm patterning my life after his teaching and who he is. And, and so more than anything else, I pray this is true about you. Now, if you're listening to this and you see that and you go, Tim, I don't know that I can say that yet. Does, should I just leave Venture? I go, oh, absolutely not. Remember, we want you to attend. Hang out with us until this either is proven true or you look at it and you go, I can't believe that. Investigate our lives. Inve investigate what we're teaching. I, I am so confident in who Jesus is I'd love for you just to spend some time and you're, you're allowed to have real questions in that journey and in the process. Now, if he is, the second part that we ask all our partners to do, and, and we're seeing it this weekend, we ask everybody to be baptized as a follower of Christ. Not in order to begin the relationship, but as evidence of it, to show the world what he has done. And so the first key thing to be a part and a partner of venture is, first of all, you're part of the big church. You're part of the body of Christ. You're connected to him through that relationship. He is the foundation of your life. Second thing that we'd ask you then, and this starts getting a little more specific to venture, we ask that you're committed to the mission and vision and beliefs of venture. If you're going to be a partner in a church, man, you need to be committed to what is it God's called this church to do and to be. And when I say those things, you, you go, well, what is our mission? Well, our mission, pretty simply, make disciples. Just make disciples. And, and we're not real original on that, by the way. We stole it straight from Jesus. I mean, as we looked at all the missions you could do, we go, okay, when Jesus was launching the church, what did he tell the church to do? He told them, okay, go make disciples. Now, when we use that term, though, we want to use it the way Jesus used it. Look, look at it in Matthew 28. When he launched the church, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and here's the core thing, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you. He's with us in this always to the end of the age. 
That term, make disciples, pretty generic. You've probably heard that mission in umpteen churches. The, the one thing, though, when we use it, because you have to be careful about a term that's used a lot, what do we mean in it? And, and there's a term I've used that's a little clunky. I don't think it's the best. But when we talk about discipleship, we talk about a holistic discipleship. Holistic discipleship. Now, as I say that, some of you have images of kind of new age crystals placed on your heads, Mr. Miyagi, all that. I, not, no. When I use holistic, I'm just saying we want to do the whole thing that Jesus taught, not one part or the other. When I taught through Church 2.0, I gave you this chart. Remember that make disciples has the two parts? One half of it is evangelism. People are coming to know Jesus. One half of it is equipping. They're being taught. He said both of them, by the way. And then we, we looked at this spectrum that we literally believe everybody out there is somewhere in their journey to Jesus. And so our role, our mission as a church is to make disciples of everyone. Some of these people, they're totally uninterested in Jesus. You know what our job to make disciples of them is live in a way and minister and love and do things that they would just look at it and go, huh, hadn't really thought of that before. And, and they just moved to interested. And then people that start getting interested and, and, and they're looking at it and they're going, all right, answer my question. They would move to actually a step of faith, become a believer. And, and then someone who's a believer, we don't stop there. Because remember, Jesus says, you, man, you got to teach them and equip them. And so how do they actually follow Jesus with their life? And then this isn't the end point either, though. How do I actually become a disciple? How do I become the kind of person that's making disciples, that's doing this? You put it all together, here would be our vision for the church then. Our vision in the next phrase is just to help people take their next step toward Jesus. How is we as a church with all the people we work with and we live around and we're in contact with and we're going to church with, how do we engage in their lives in a way we're helping them take that next step? Because we believe every single person has a next step. And we want to be actively involved in that. And so if you look at it, you go, yeah, I want to be about that mission. Yeah, I like that picture. I like being a part of that. And, and then a core thing that we call partners to is, man, you need to understand what we believe and what our beliefs are in that. And you might ask, okay, do we have to believe everything down there's some core beliefs that we have. We call a doctrine statement. You can see it online. If you go to venture.cc, you see that doctrine statement. And, and of that, we call you to do it. You know, there's a line I've loved. It goes all the way back to the 17th century. One of the leaders of the church, he said, in essential things, we should be unified. In other words, those core beliefs. And if you go online, you see those core doctrines, things we believe. It's things like, how do you have a relationship with Christ? Who is Jesus? Fully God and fully man. He's exclusively the only way to God. Man, that's a core belief for us. We actually believe the Bible is God's word. We believe it's true in all its parts. And so we, we pattern our life and our teaching around that. Those are the core beliefs that we're absolutely unified about. Now, he then adds this line, in non-essentials, there needs to be some freedom. And I've talked about this over the week. You know, there's different churches under these core beliefs that some have different expressions. And some practice a little bit differently. And, and, and I love this thought that we go, you know, there's some freedom in that. That there's parts that we're going to disagree on a non-essential. Not the essentials, the big things, the core things. You can see those things. Man, we're going to be unified on them. 
But, but, but some of these parts, can we have the humility to look at each other and go, okay, there's some freedom. And then this last line, he says, and in all things you love. You love. So, so as a church venture, man, we are about that mission. We want to make disciples. What does that mean? Hey, help every person take their next step. And we've built it off some truths that we believe are absolutely true in God's word. We've also built it off some humility as we work with other churches and people in that. Of going, man, this is what we believe and know to be true. And, and those practices that are a little different, we still can link arms with you even as we have some distinct things that we do as a church. What's the third part of that then? The third part. The third part is you're committed to protecting the unity of the church. If you're going to be a partner here, you'd go, man, I want this place to be unified. And, and to do that, kind of three things. The first one, by acting in love toward each other. We actually love each other. And guys, hear me. This isn't just a throwaway line. This isn't one of those, okay, yeah, we're supposed to love each other. No, Jesus actually thought we should love each other. So much so, he said in John 13, 35, this is how the world's going to know you're my disciples. You love each other. I mean, out of all the ways he could have said, we're defined. He could have said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you teach. They'll know you're my disciples because you have the world's greatest doctrine statement. They'll know you're my disciples, all these different things. He goes, yeah, but you know, the reality is people are watching your lives. They're watching how you treat each other. And they're going to look at you and go, man, there's something different there. And in that moment, they'll know your mind. You, you know, as you, you think about a church, I, I think one of the things that derails churches from really living out the mission God's called them to the most is this. Is it really this simple truth? And, it, and it's usually not the big things. It's just the little ways we love each other. Especially if you've been a partner or you've been a member for a long time. I, I can get grumpy at times and I want things my way. And other people in the church kind of get on my nerves. And people aren't responding as quick as I think they should. And do what they think they should. And, and, and that little bit, and I start getting an attitude. You ever get an attitude? Like, you know, I've been here a long time. And it's amazing how that just starts attacking. You know, years ago, one of the space shuttles, the Discovery, it was coming up on a launch. And they had to scrap the launch right at the last minute. And the reason they had to were these yellow-billed woodpeckers. The insulation around one of the, the fuel tubes, the, these woodpeckers loved to peck on them. And they would just peck, 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 peck. And, and pecking on it, the problem was this insulation was really important because the fuel in it was so cold that as soon as you put it in, if it wasn't insulated, ice would form. And then when the shuttle would take off, that ice could break off and destroy the shuttle. And you look at it, all the reasons this great project was grounded, it wasn't because of some budget cut. It wasn't some huge cataclysmic thing. It's just woodpeckers. Pick, pick, pick. You know what? There's a lot of churches, they never take off. They never get over the hump. And you know why? And it can be churches that were huge. God did things to him. But at some point you look at it and go, what happened there? And, and it's usually not something big. It's just, you suddenly have a, a body of people that instead of just radically loving each other, 
We start criticizing each other. Peck, peck, peck. We start thinking the worst of that person. Peck, peck, peck. Oh, they're not doing what I like. Peck, peck, peck. I'm going to share a prayer request about them in my small group. Peck, peck, peck. And gossip a little bit. And you do that, and you do that, and you do that. And it has devastating consequences. See, the world is watching. Literally, they're watching how we treat each other. And guess what? They're supposed to. Jesus actually wanted them to. He said, oh yeah, I want them to look at you guys the way you love each other. So we'll call you to that. Then you say, well, Tim, what about though if it's a serious issue? I mean, I know you're talking about the smaller ones. How, how do we deal with the serious issue? And so part of protecting the unity is by resolving conflict according to scripture. Sometimes there's real conflict. Sometimes there's real sin. Sometimes somebody has really done you wrong. Again, though, we want to do it the way the Bible calls us to do it. One of the best passages on that is Matthew 18. And these are the words of Jesus, by the way, straight from his mouth. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, some people want to treat this like a, a legal treatise in that. Jesus is just giving very practical, clear, what do you do when you have conflict in the church? Kind of three Ps. It's not hard. First one, you make it personal. You make it personal. He says, you go to them. You don't run to the pastor first thing. He did this. You need to go deal with that. Jesus actually said, no, actually, if you're part of it, you go deal with them. It's personal. And so, so you got to have a little courage and step into it. And then secondly, you make it private. You make it as private as you possibly can. And if you can resolve it just with the two of you, great, no one else ever has to know. And, and if you can't with the two, then just get one or two more. You, you see how Jesus teaches it in a way that if we just did this personally and private, and then the last part, he says, you got to be persistent with it. Guess what? Most people don't respond immediately when you have to confront them with something in their life or sin in their life with it. They don't really just like it always. But you love them enough to be persistent. You love them enough to come back and go, man, this is killing you. This is hurting. This is hurting our family here. And Jesus goes, hey, you love them enough even to do tough love. That, that, that as a family, you look at it and go, man, you are hurting yourself. You're hurting us. You can't do that here. I know many parents, I've got friends who, who they've had to do tough love with kids. It's probably the hardest thing you ever do as a parent. Hardest thing you ever do as a church. And it should be. But, but there's a simplicity to what he teaches. Sometimes I think we make this a little more complicated than it needs to be because we don't actually like dealing with conflict. And so we want to create some other way. And Jesus goes, no, just make it personal. Keep it private as you can. And be persistent as you deal with that. The third part of that is we'll call you to follow the church leadership. Follow church leadership. And in every church, there's distinct leadership that God's called to that church. And scripture calls us to, to do that. Look how he puts it in Hebrews 13. 
He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would not be in any advantage uh, to you. He's writing to the church here. And this first line, obey your leaders, submit to them. Even as I read that, I know some of you, you have been so burned by church leaders in the past. Some of you have been really hurt. And sometimes it was over power. Sometimes it was sexual infidelity. It was money. And there's a part of you, even as you look at it, you go, I just, I don't, I don't know that I can trust. And I get it. I mean, I look over the last few years, some of the most significant churches, I know they've blown up over these issues. And there's a part of me that always winces when it happens. And then there's another part of me that I go, you know what? Truth proves out. And so I, I don't like what that means, but I'm glad it came out. And I'm glad it was tr the truth that's coming out. And I pray those who've been hurt by it can be healed. And I, if you've been hurt in the past, and maybe this is a hard part for you, I, I would encourage you just to attend with us for a while. Check us out. See, we're not perfect in our leadership. You know, we went away even this weekend as an elder board. There's a board that I answer to, men who pray for this church and are passionate about it and give accountability for all of us because we all need that accountability. And, and, and here's the greatest accountability you have more than anything else because we actually looked at this verse while we were away. We were praying and here's the line that made every one of us around the table gulp. As those who will have to give an account. We have to give an account because we watch over your souls. The one day I'll stand for Jesus, I have to give account. Now, I'm not responsible for saving you because I don't have the ability. Only Jesus does. But I am responsible. How did we watch over you? How did we protect you? How did we love you? How did we lead in a way that, that led you closer to him? And, and here's the thing he asked of you, and I think this was written by a church leader. He said, do this obedience. Do it in a way that they could lead you with joy and not with groaning. I really like that line. Don't be the kind of person that when a church leader walks along, they groan because you're walking up. Really, don't be groan worthy. And you may say, but Tim, I have the spiritual gift of critique. And I need to use it in your life. The writer there is saying, hey, they've got a responsibility. And there's a place where you have to follow. And there's a place to be a partner adventure. And I want you to get this as well. There's a unique vision that God's called us to. And we don't believe that we're the only church in the Bay Area even. As I've told you, man, some of my best friends are, are pastors of other churches with, out there. And so as you're here and as you're a part of it, if there's a place where you just go, man, I don't think I can follow that. Man, I don't think that's what we should be doing or where God's leading in that. I do this with all of our first step classes, people that are in the church. There's a place, I don't want you here grinding. Let us help you find the church for you. I, I'm more passionate that you find the church where you plug in. Now I say that wanting everyone here, but I also know he's a big God. And, and I, I think about, you know, some of Lee and my best friends. There's a couple we love desperately. And God led them to another church. They're over at Awakening. Because it's at their, in their neighborhood. 
And they needed their gifts there. And they're using leadership there. And, and we love them, but I'm so glad God's using them. Because it's part of the big church in that. And, and if God's leading in your heart that you go, no, I really think, I'm excited about what God's doing here. Man, we want you here. We want to see you unleashed here. But, but you need to embrace that and go, yeah, that is exactly what God's calling me to do. As you do that, number four, the fourth thing that you need to do is you need to be engaged in the ministry of the church. All of us. And when I use ministry, I'm talking about big ministry, kingdom ministry, not just serving in certain ways. Here's what I mean with that. We'll walk through these pretty quickly because we preached on these. But one, by regular participation in worship and teaching. You got to be regular. We need you here. And you need to be here, by the way. Uh, the writer of Hebrews put it this way. He says, do not neglect the meat together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You, you need that engagement in worship together. You need teaching together. We need the reorientation it gives. We need your voice. We need your presence. We need your passion. We need your understanding. And, and each of us need it. Uh, uh, one lady was writing, she was in a car she had never been in before. It was a rental car and she hit one button. Suddenly it started giving her this instruction. You need to drive the car 360 degrees. And then she had to repoint it. And, and what it was is the whole GPS system in the car had lost its true north. And so it was just this reorientation. It wasn't real hard, but a reorientation so that the car knew what was north and then everything else. And, and as I read that, I thought, that's what worship is for us each week. It's this place where we stop and we come together collectively and we go, yeah, God is our true north. So he's worthy of worship. And, and his word is my GPS and it leads me and it guides me and it speaks to me. And we need to do that. that that's part of it for all of us. The second thing we need to do in ministry with that is by being in community through a group or a class or a team. And we've been talking about this, but until you plug in somewhere and find your group or find your team or find some place, find, find that group, that big church becomes your church in that moment. I mean, when, when it's beyond just collecting in a room, but you go, man, these are my people. These are the people that look out for me. And, and can I caution you, if you're waiting to find the perfect group here, you'll never find it in this church or any other church. Because church, by definition, is made up of fallen and broken people who God loves so much, he's changing us, but we're on journey. And, and, and sometimes it's easy to get into a trap. You come here and you go, well, I'm going I'm to wait till they really pull me in, or I'm going to wait until I find that perfect group with it. I'm going to wait until I find people just like me. And you find yourself waiting a long time in it. Uh, there's a woman... Carmen Berry, she wrote a book. It's an interesting book, The Unauthorized Guide to Choosing a Church. <laughs> and she talked about her own faith journey. She'd grown up in church and then kind of just walked away from it because she was kind of burned out by the people in it. And had told herself, I, these, these people, they're brokenness. And then she realized, though, oh, wait a second. They're just like me. Listen to her words. She said, I'd overlooked one essential factor that I am as finite and flawed as everyone else. When a friend committed suicide, I realized I had, could become too cynical, too lost, too alone. I needed a church, a community of believers. I needed to live my faith 
and to, to visit my doubts. Something happens there that simply doesn't happen when you're alone in prayer or on the internet. As much as I hated to admit it, my faith is enhanced and enlarged when in relationship to other less than perfect human beings. That's part of the design of it. So we call you to that. And the third part of being in ministry is by using your spiritual gifts and natural abilities to serve. See, I believe everybody, if you come into a relationship with God, he actually gives you spiritual gifts. And you may not even know what those are. You may be looking at it and go, I have spiritual gifts. Every, we all do. Scripture says that. And part of our responsibility is to teach you what those are, to help you discover them. But, but you also have these natural abilities to serve. And, and so our goal, in fact, our responsibility as a church is to equip you to do that. Look how Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. He said, and he's talking about Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So there's a group of people that God has given to the church throughout time. And, and those of us who are part of that group, we have unique gifts out of that. But notice what our gift is to do. We're here to equip the saints. That's you, anybody that follows Jesus, you're a saint. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I gave all these special people to go do the work of the ministry. He said, no, actually your job, man, is to empower these people. Teach these people. Unleash these people. Help these people find how they're gifted. Help them figure out how to use their passions. Help them realize and know, and, and when we're talking about ministry, I'm not just talking about just what happens on this campus on a weekend, on a Sunday. We want you to serve. There's so many ways to plug in. But when I'm talking about unleashing for ministry, I'm talking about the stuff you actually like doing in life and doing it out there. The things you were made to do, the things that give you the greatest joy and the greatest passion. But now you're doing them for a whole different reason. Man, you're doing them because you want people to see your God. You're doing them because you want to please him. You're doing them because you want to show the world what God does through his church and in you. And it shows up in all different ways. And so as a church, we want to unleash that. Now, do we want you to serve here? Absolutely. We need you to serve here. And, and there's so many different ways that you serve in the household and in the family. And I tell you, one of the core ways, and I'll call you to it again and again, if you're looking for a, a core, simple way for your life to make unbelievable impact, it's coming here on this campus. And whether it's plugging in into children's ministry, whether it's middle school ministry, whether it's high school ministry, you going, hey, I want to plug into the life of a young person. I'm going to sit in this circle with them. I'm going to ask these questions to them. I'm going to open the Bible with them. I'm going to take the material that the leaders have put together and I actually want to do this discipleship thing. And you get to do it with the people who desperately need it the most. It's the biggest win-win I know out there. Of just going, I could do that on a regular basis and impact the next generation. Man, I hope you grab that. See, see for all of us, it's, it's that part where we go, yeah, this is my church. This isn't just the church. This is my church. You know, back in the, the Gothic times, when they used to build those cathedrals in Europe, you know, you see the huge ones. A lot of times the quarry where they got the stone, sometimes it'd be as far as 50 miles away. You know what they would do? It was a group of volunteers 
who went and they just made one big chain and rock by rock they would hand it down the line just to get the stone there to build it. But you know, if you were ever a part of that chain, don't you know every time you walk past it, you go, I was part of that. I helped build that. I, I did my part. And, and I'm telling you, that's that part when you actually engage in ministry, you serve, you do something. And church goes from this thing where you kind of go, oh man, it's cool what they're doing to go, this is my church. And I, I am a part of what God's doing in this place and in this city and across the bay. Final area in that, the final area is you share in the responsibility for the church. We all, all share in that responsibility together. First one is by supporting it financially. We give. We give to it. And we'll call you to give to it. And we need you to give to it. And, and this church is so generous, but man, we want to keep giving. Why? Because we want to use what God's given us to bless the world. And I'd encourage you, I mean, there's a principle in scripture and I won't belabor this point, but it just calls us, man, as God has so blessed us, we want to bless others. And Paul says it in 2 Corinthians, he puts it real personal. He said, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And, and he says, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. That's a heart decision. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because somebody forced you to. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you, you may look at that and go, oh, good. When I get cheerful, I'll start giving. It doesn't really work that way. You'll never really get cheerful in this category till you start giving some. And, and I'd encourage you, get, just get in the game. Even if you hear that and you go, well, you're just trying to get money, give somewhere. Here's what happens when you give. You start caring about it more. You just do. I mean, you start supporting a kid in another country, and you actually care about that kid. You start supporting a project across the city. You actually start following it. You start supporting your church and going, man, I want to give to this. It knits your heart to it like few other things. And God's called us together. Everything God asks us to do is always good for us. That's the great thing. Anytime you have a command that God asks you to do something, the thing you can always rest in is always good for me too. I never lose in obeying him. Second part of supporting the church then is by praying for its growth. You pray for its growth. You pray that we'd grow spiritually. Paul put it in, Colossians, we won't turn there, but, but he says, hey, pray for me. Pray that we could share the gospel. Pray that we could grow. And I'm going to ask you, would you personally pray that venture would grow? Here's the funny thing. Leaders usually like the church to grow. People don't. They really don't. And the reason why is, I mean, you have more people here. It's just a pain in the rear. You know, people are sitting in your seat. You got to wait to check your kid in. You pull into the parking lot, or even worse, you pull out in that line at Hicks Road. You're like, oh, I mean, there's weeks where I'm like, shrink the church, Lord, <laughs> all these cars of people. <laughs> but it's real easy to look at a collective and forget it's people. That, that the family in that car in front of you, they're not doing real well. they're really struggling. The couple right beside you that maybe you see over there, 
They're wondering if their marriage is going to make it. And they both have their doubts, but they had not said it to each other yet. The kid that's in line in front of you, nobody has loved him all week. Not in a real way. The family that's over here that just moved here from another country. They just, they have no roots and they have no sense of community at all. They're just desperately looking for someplace to connect. The guy that seems so sad that his wife just died of cancer. The, the young guy in front of you that you, you kind of look at him and you're not sure what's going on and you don't realize he's struggling desperately with addiction. The person three rows behind you that you have no clue, but they keep struggling with depression anxiety, thoughts they wish they didn't have. Will you pray them here? The, the, the people that live every day feeling so bad about their lives and feeling so ashamed of themselves and they don't know how much God loves them. They don't know what he's done for them. And they don't know the difference it makes. They really don't. Would we commit to go, yeah, we want them here. We, we want them next to us. We want them in our lives. We want them in our homes. Would we pray that we would have the privilege of just filling up this place over and over again with people who need good news. And then the final part of that is, you know what? Even invite them. Invite others to join you. I love how Jesus puts it in John chapter one and his disciples put it. When Jesus first showed up, you know what they said to him? Hey, come and see. I love that phrase, come and see. It's not, oh, go and see. Yeah, you ought to go see Jesus. You ought to go check him out. Here's what they said to him. Hey, you ought to come with me. Let's go see him together. That's really what it's about. When you, you talk about, man, we want to reach people, it's come and see. Come and see in my home. Come see at my dinner table. Come see at the, the game with me. Come see at church with me. What a difference it makes. Years ago, I had this guy that used to come visit me. He didn't go to our church. In fact, he lived in Denver. He would fly in every so often. He wanted to date this woman in our church. She was a strong Christian. She wouldn't date him because he wasn't a Christian. So the very first meeting, he comes in. Wild man. He would race boats. He, would, uh, he cussed like a sailor. I love the guy. I really, I did. I love meeting with him. Loved his stories. And, and we would sit down. But he goes, hey, pastor, you got to help me. How do I get this woman to date me? Come on, give me some inside info. And I told him, I said, well, I think you're going to have to become a Christian. And he's like, okay, yeah, we got to go a different route than that. He goes, that ain't happening anytime soon. I mean, he was so honest. I loved it. And, and he goes, come on, you can help me. And I said, okay, at the very least, you ought to start going to church. Just go to church. And I gave him the list of some churches in the Denver area. 
I didn't see him for a couple of months. And he flew back in and, and he came to see me. I said, how, how are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to church. And I said, really? And he enlisted the church. It was a great church. I was like, man, that is awesome. And he goes, yeah, I'm listening. It's starting to make a little more sense. He said, I almost didn't stick though. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I pulled up at the church and man, you had to park way far away. What's with the parking lots at churches these days? I mean, he goes, I finally get in and, and there's this guy at the door, the usher, John. He's got a little name tag, John. He's got a tie on. He gives me that little program thing and he says, hi, I'm John. And I'm like, saw the name tag. <laughs> and I go sit down. And as soon as I sit down, I'm looking around. And I'm like, this is a big mistake. I'm not like anybody else here. I just got up and I took off. He goes, I was literally almost to my car when I hear this voice calling my name out. I turn around, it's John. <laughs> he said, hey, where are you going? He said, I, I told him, I, I think this is a mistake. I don't know anybody there. And he smiled at me, he said, well, you know me? Come sit with me. And he goes, you know, and I have to go back every week because somebody has to sit with poor John. <laughs> I love that. You, you know me. Who knows you? Who could just come alongside you in life some so that we could show them how great our God is? Why church? Here's what I'd say. Why not? I don't think there's anything better going out there. And if you're wrestling with that, hear me. We are not a perfect church. But man, we serve a perfect God. And I believe if you stick around here long enough, you'll see him and realize what we're talking about. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the joy it is to be in this place, to serve together, to love you together. Lord, we, we recognize we are not perfect people and this is not a perfect church, but we want to confess together, you're a perfect God and a perfect Savior. Show us how to love each other radically. Show us how to show that love radically to our community and world that people could have their lives changed by you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.